Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors, who make amazing acrylic and oil paint, watercolors, and painting mediums. Made in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden sets the standard for art materials. You can find them in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum has an incredible array of roasted coffee beans that you can order and have delivered to your door. They even have a subscription service of curated blends that you can order by visiting their website fulcrumcoffee.com. Sound and Vision listeners can get 20% off their order by adding the code Alfred Studio at checkout. Check out Fulcrum for some amazing coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com. The Sound and Vision podcast book, Why I Make Art, is now available. Published by Altelier Editions, it's filled with artist features, quotes, and themed sections, images of the artist's sketches in the Sound and Vision guest book, and a foreword by Rishikesh Hirway of Song Exploder podcast and the Netflix show. I think you'll really love it. It's available for $25 at Altelier Editions' website, and you can get it most places where you can buy books. Dana Locke is a visual artist who lives and works in Brooklyn, New York. In her paintings and drawings, she aims to capture the magic and unease found in the gap between signs and the things they represent. Her recent work imagines metaphors for how we create knowledge and draw conceptual schemes together. Her solo exhibitions include Part and Parse at Miguel Abreu Gallery in New York, One Second Per Second at Page in New York, Words Without Skin at Klima in Milan, Mind's Mouth at Bianca D'Alessandro in Copenhagen, Soft Fact at Klima, Milan, and The Set of All Sets at Two Days in London. Dana received her MFA from Columbia University in 2015 and her BFA from Carnegie Mellon University in 2011. She attended Skowhegan in 2016. In 2018, she was awarded the Rima Hort Mann Emerging Artist Grant and her work has been covered in Hyperallergic, Cura, and Freeze. I talked to Dana about big shifts, Pittsburgh and Philly, art school versus university, seeing live music again, painting and openness, and much more. Here's our conversation. Yes, yes. They're matching the sound of my voice. <laughs> Have you done a lot of zooming since um, the whole in the thing? I guess in the first year, um, I was doing plenty of Zoom, but um, n- not as much this year. I mean, I've been like, I'm, I'm really eager for like, I don't know, lectures and public events and things like that to come back live in the city because I have no no interest in doing those things, <laughs> like seeing a sea of, of squares of people's faces. 
um and then yeah it's it's different right yeah but it was it was cool for a moment there um you know silver lining kind of thing it was cool i guess in the like summer of 2020 uh everything kind of going online was definitely an opportunity to like get in touch with people who lived far away and kind of like bring them into the regular new york social circle um, and right. so I miss that. Yeah. 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 It was, uh, I, it, I guess as anything, it gets old after a while. Totally. Right? It's like, at first it's like, oh, this is an easy commute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then after a while you're like, okay, I'm ready for the real, the real thing again. Definitely. Definitely. And I don't know, you wouldn't know that there's a pandemic happening anymore in New York. I feel like things are pretty feeling pretty back to normal yeah i don't even uh, it's it's funny because i feel like there's a little bit of guilt with that but then it's also like well it seems like you know if things don't normalize or if there isn't an attempt to normalize it then we're just in panic mode forever you know what i mean which is totally unsustainable yeah it's hard because like i've you know people in the family who are very sort of high risk yeah like in-laws and you know my but it at a certain point also having a kid it's like yeah you don't want them to live in like total shutdown forever just because you know yeah it's hard yeah it had a big effect so you Truly. know but did you ride it out so you're in brooklyn yes is that right? yeah and, and did you ride it out mm-hmm. in brooklyn yeah all right yeah i knew we had something in common <laughs> so you stay put too <laughs> oh no escape it was a yeah. strict shutdown for a long time yeah I mean, people had really different circumstances at first, like back in uh, like <clears throat> April and May. I was like, why is everybody leaving the city? Um, but and then I realized like, oh, you have a one bedroom apartment and a dog and you live with your partner like that is not <laughs> sustainable right. with, you know, your new remote office job. So I have a pretty good setup domestically. My studio is like in the house. We have a lot of extra space in our apartment. So it was, it was very manageable to stay. It was doable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people, you know, maybe some people were on the fence of wanting to tap into nature a little bit. That was like, okay, now's the time. Totally. Totally. Like it's Airbnb time or it's time to rent something outside the city. Yeah. Do something else. Yeah. And if that was was in people's capability, more power to them. (laughs) Right. But uh, you, you, so not only do we have riding out the pandemic in common, but we're both, I think, Pennsylvanians born. Yes. Yes. I saw you're born in Pittsburgh. Yeah. You're from the other side, right? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I outside up, Philly mm-hmm. I grew up in the suburbs of Philly um, about 45 minutes outside of the city but I I did go to school undergrad in Pittsburgh at CMU I know that yeah. I, was, I was excited to see <laughs> and you went over to state college right <laughs> yeah I went to well I started at Pitt oh, for a semester oh, cool. I was in pre-med and, oh, and no I way. was like okay this isn't for me yeah so I transferred to Penn State cool cool which is like, you know, the middle of nowhere. It's a giant city, but there's, yeah. in a sense. But, but it's like just a college, just, right? It's just college kids. Yeah. 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 
So, but I mean, CMU is, it's nice. It's nice. It's, it's a very, it's like, you know, one of those like Cadillac kind of <laughs> schools, <laughs> Cadillac price, Cadillac uh, sort of experience. Um, but it's, it I, is, actually, wouldn't you say it's more like a Tesla? Cadillac yes, means there you go. It is, it's absolutely more like a Tesla. <laughs> more like a Tesla. It's a little more sleek, yeah. technologically advanced, expensive. Yeah. You know. Truly. And it's a, it's a, very eccentric school for that reason it really is the engineering and the computer science and robotics really i think um affects every single department in in the school including including art um so it's yeah. it's quite a unique program it's funny because by the time i left pittsburgh you know cmu was cmu but it wasn't the tech side of the city wasn't there yet you know, oh, interesting. It was just post steel. Just post industrial. Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't really that much going on. Was it a medical as, city at that point? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center was big from for a long time. For a long time. So that was kind of the thing, I guess. Yeah. Uh, academic wise. But um, CMU really and the city took the tech thing and kind of ran with it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is good because, you know, if that didn't happen, it would have been, you know, like Detroit-y, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that the industry leaves and then what's left sort of thing. Yeah. I haven't, I actually haven't been back since um, the year after I graduated. So I haven't been back since 2012. Um, and it seems like, I guess from what I've gathered here and there, it does seem like, um, like the the art scene is, is kind of blossoming and, and things are happening there. Um, maybe a little like flourishing a little bit more even than a decade ago. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, the exodus of big cities is part of that, you know, yeah. of a lot of people setting up shop in provincial towns and being able to do it. And, um, and plus it's just, it's grown as a slowly, slowly grown as a creative city. It's always yeah. been, you know, we'd had the uh, the mattress factory in the Carnegie, and then you know the Warhol showing up and all that. It's it's a good place for art in a way. I mean, there's no market there, but yeah. there's, it's cheap to live there, and there's cool stuff to do. Yeah, I feel like. But how did you how did you decide Carnegie Mellon? I guess it's jumping far into your you know into your collegiate. But how did you decide to go there? Um, I. In high school, I, it, you know, I was always, um, art was always like my thing. It was the thing I loved to do most. That was always like very clear to me. Um, and um, I liked uh, academic work as well. Like I liked school and, and learning and stuff. Um, uh, so it was just kind of like at the end of high school, a question of, um, well, I know that art is my favorite thing to do and I know it's kind of like what I'm best at, but is that is that like a viable thing to study and try to make a career out of? And um, I didn't apply to a ton of different schools. I It was really... Um, kind of choosing between 
CMU and RISD. Um, so like art school versus university. And um, I think it ultimately just came down to wanting to go to a place where like I knew that, um, that I would have like uh, ongoing access to academic classes that were really like a part of a part of the schedule not that I would just be like glomming them on to my to my art studies but it was really a part of the experience there but CMU is also interesting because you go there and you get a BFA you don't get a BA Um, so it's really an art program it's kind of like an art school within a broader university so it was it it sort of fed that that balance um, but I, of course, I don't know. I thought I'd go and like study art and then like find some, some job that had to do with art. Right. Um, that was skill. like more practical. Um, and I don't know, I guess every kind of step along the way just ended up choosing art again and again and again. So, Right. You were supposed to come back to center and be rational about it, but you just kept drifting to the left. Yeah. Like be a graphic designer or something like that. Or like also like, I don't know, you have in your head as a, as like a young art student that things that are kind of maybe not actually, I mean, people have these jobs, people have jobs like curator and art critic but they're very few and far between. I think like as a freshman in college, I was like, oh, like where's the major for art critic? <laughs> or like, where's the curating? Like what's, what boxes do I have to check to like turn out to be one of those? And it just doesn't, those things are very, very rare. God, those are like you. more rare than being an artist. They are, really. yeah. Because if you think about it, for all the artists that are out there showing and doing that, there's like, one curator for every however many you know (laughs) totally totally yeah but it seems like oh that's a job yeah for some reason art became not a job but like a curator which is really (laughs) or a critic even worse yeah that's like someone who's riding on the coattails of artists yeah and that how is somehow more prestigious i always wondered that too i'd love to get like a, a a metric of you know how everyone who's wants to be an artist deep down, they go to school and they're like, oh, well, I'll, I'll do graphic design because you can get a job in that. Yeah. I wonder how many jobs there are and how many people actually do that. It's true. Guess, obviously, there are jobs in graphic design, but is it that much? And are you just automatically able to get a job? It, I, I want to see the numbers. I wonder that too. And I think, you know, I feel like I don't from what I saw, at least as a part, because CMU had a design school as well, that was like quite, quite a strong program. Um, And it seemed like, I don't know, being an artist, you could transfer your skills pretty easily to like, like making something that looks good in Illustrator. But I feel like in graphic design these days, it's like you need to know how to do like user interface and like, you know, build a website and and then also all of the aspects like communicating with clients and (laughs) all the things that aren't baked into an artist necessarily. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, I mean, a lot of artists, it's funny because artists are visual people and their whole thing is like making work that's visual. But so many are terrible at design. 
Like the, if they ever do a website yeah. or their photos on Instagram, whatever it is, it just looks not good. And I always laugh, or not laugh, that's the wrong term. <laughs> I always give caution to students that I teach who are applying to grad school. I'm like, listen, you don't want to work four years on you know work in a portfolio and then send the crappiest photos don't, ever yeah, taken. Yeah, the photos I mean, come are on. so important. They're so bad. Yeah. They're so bad though. Yeah. They take the worst photos and it's just not showing yourself well, you know? Totally. And it's funny. You would think visual people, it's like, oh, I got to represent myself. But for some reason, it's either they're bad at it or they feel like, oh, well, that's disingenuous. And you're trying to like sell yourself or like show yourself in a professional way. Totally. Which is like, why? I why think that, that there's, I think there is a lot of that resistance. Um, to yeah doing that kind of upkeep and and presentation because it is this place like the artist's website or like the way that you you know edit your photos or put together an application or like your artist statement like all of that stuff I think is really you know for the sake of clarity dependent on conventions um and we're just like taught from day one and in art school to you know break the conventions as soon as we learn them so it can it can seem really contradictory i think for students and i i don't know i remember like specific conversations in like graduate school and the professional practices class of just like the teacher just like desperately asking students to just like write a normal artist statement <laughs> like don't make it a poem <laughs> right right don't make it performance art yeah 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 they just i don't know for some reason it's frowned upon yeah. you know and i think there's a contingent although maybe retiring off but a contingent which i understand of people from generations like a generation before mine who yearned for those sort of like reckless abandoned that created so much of these sort of innovative avant-garde ideas of mid-century totally but we don't live in that anymore that's not really where the avant-garde lives anymore i think but they have a nostalgic feeling of like oh if we could just get out of this buttoned up straight laced you know thing then we could really be free and that's where real art is made or or thought of you know but i think it just changes yeah yeah, and I just, I don't know, I wonder if it has to do with, like, I kind of just got the impression that there's a lot more people in the art world these days, and there's a lot more institutions yep. and opportunities and, and like, worker bees around the, around the making of the art and the processing of, like, who, who is involved and what opportunity and all of that requires like a little bit of, of scaffolding and and filtering that, you know, kind of by definition has to be conventional and organized and and clear, but it is like, sometimes I definitely like bristle against, I don't know, the, like the idea of, um, uh, like bending to the conventions of Instagram to better promote your work, um, right. things like that. So I guess I guess everybody has to decide for themselves in a considered way, hopefully, like where you block the conventions. Yeah, and I think it depends on your work and your yeah. vibe and like who you're connecting with and all that. Totally. You know, there's no one right lane totally. for everyone. So, you know, 
like the Daniel Arshams of the world are going to ride that design line and like, you know, collaborate and have shoes and do all that stuff. And it kind of makes sense for what he does. Interesting. Where, I don't know his work, actually. Um. All right. Let me rewind. So the <laughs> Takashi Murakamis of the world. Uh, are, gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, yeah. It, that stuff will happen. Yeah. And then you'll have the people who are like not online at all. Totally. And they're kind of an enigma. Totally. And that works for them, too, you know? It's kind of like you got to just be, you got to have conviction in what the way you want to do it. Totally. Go with it. And because if you start designing it to other people's expectations, that's where you kind of lose. Yeah. No matter what. It's kind of like that with work anyways, but that's the deep end of the pool. All right. So let's go back. So the, the, I'm curious, the sort of academic bent that you have of like wanting to, you know, I went to university too, as opposed to an art school and I thought that was good, but it wasn't CMU. Um, So... Did that come from your parents? Were they acad- academics or into, and was the creativity, did it lie therein or how did that merge? Um, yeah, I mean, my, yeah, my dad is uh, just retired last week. <laughs> Congratulations, Congratulations to him. Dad. Oh my God. Um, it's a whole to, new world. Yeah, yeah. He's, Break out those golf clubs. <laughs> <laughs> he actually, he's um, he's like so deep already into like amateur astronomy. He just got this. Whoa. Yeah, he know. just got a new telescope and. He like nice. you just bring up the word and he's like talking about like f stops f stops and like filters and uh, and like programming the the mount and oh my god it's it's very cute um, but he uh, uh, was a professor at uh, University of Pennsylvania so yeah there's there you go. yeah there's like academics in the family. Um, and then my mom. What did he teach in? Uh, Parasitology. Astronomy. <laughs> yeah, not astronomy. Not, not astrology. Uh, um, not astrology either. <laughs> um, parasitology, <laughs> also not to be confused with parapsychology, um, but the study of parasites. Parasites. So, yeah. primarily cool. worked with little teeny tiny worms. Um, and that's in the science area. Yeah, he was. He actually Life sciences. like worked in the vet school at. At Penn, but yep, oh, in the sciences. Nice. Where did he go to school? Sorry, just digging deep. Oh, just um, curious well, as to where he, one gets into that. Both my parents grew up in Mississippi, um, so he they met at University of Southern Mississippi, and my dad came up to Cornell for graduate school, and then oh, it was straight explains. to Philly after that. Um, Got it. Yeah, all makes sense. <laughs> wow, Southern Miss isn't that yeah. the, the nickname of it? Yes, <laughs> yes, indeed. I only know it from sports. I mean, I know oh, so little oh, about Mississippi. Uh-huh. I know so little about Mississippi. I mean, my my South knowledge is generally based on being in a band and going on tour. Oh, and cool. We, never, we passed through Mississippi. We never played in Mississippi. Yeah. So I have no I have no barometer for what it's like. Um, Seems it's, scary. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's, I mean. Deep South. Yeah, it's my, my dad grew up like right in in Hattiesburg which is the town that University of Southern Mississippi's in um right. and I don't know I I mostly know it just from like annual trips to my grandmother's house as a little kid um and it always felt pleasant enough 
Um, but it's it's like drastically different culture. I mean, it's like yeah. um, relaxed and hot and um, yeah. Uh, Southern cuisine. Yeah, totally. Sounds nice. It's a big thing that I miss about our trips down there. Um, but yeah, and then my mom, uh, who is also retired now, uh, was a children's librarian at the local public uh, library. I worked. I worked yeah. in the children's library at Penn oh, State no for years. Oh, cool! So I have a deep love for kids' books, oh. and my boss was one of the head, like the top guys who review kids books and do the caldecots and all that oh stuff, my believe, gosh right? caldecots yeah oh that's amazing yeah it was good stuff and i've since ever since i've loved kids books me too me too. i even made one i never got it published but i made i made a kid's book oh that's incredible i could see your like graphic style translating really well too didn't translate enough to get <laughs> to get <laughs> I think that's I mean that's like another job but I feel like yeah. somewhere in the back of my head when I was like 18 I was like oh maybe one day I'll be a children's book illustrator it's like not a job <laughs> <laughs> yeah not yeah I mean you know you yeah it's that's a tough gig too yeah um but oh I have such a admiration for children's literature and it's like one of those things where you know, you grow up kind of swimming in it um, and you don't realize how much it's like worked its way into your brainstem uh, yeah. until later on. I think I think that has like some of those books have really influenced uh, the way that I kind of think through images. That's interesting. Yeah. I could totally imagine that. Yeah. You know, it's funny because thinking about your dad's um, retirement hobby and then I immediately merged your mother's, the children's books, and then thought of astrology and kids' books, and I immediately thought of a few. Oh, Can yeah. Can you think of any? Can I, well, Little Prince had oh, like a image of the stars. Yeah. And then Harold and the Purple Crayon, he drew oh, the stars, way. which was great. That is such and then, a special book. If he doesn't have it, it might be a good gift idea, but the um, is it is H.A. It Ray? Is he the author who did, or her? I don't The author did the Curious George. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember the name of that author. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that that author did an illustrated book of the stars, oh. which is amazing. It's oh, very academic. It's oh, not really so kids cool. booky. Yeah. Okay, but Curious George author. I think it is. I mean, I'm probably screwing up. But um. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that would be a really cool sort of like merging totally oh wow oh yeah it's called it's called the stars by h.a ray okay the star beautiful but it's like you know i'm a sucker for and it seems like you might be too for anything that addresses bigger ideas or maybe some heavy stuff in the realm of like a more childlike mm. delivery you know something what I mean? that's graspable yeah or, or just it. There's a, a conflicting kind of, you know, an ease of the interpretation of the image and an unease of the sort of conceptual underpinnings. So if you look at like a, like a graphic novelist like, uh, um, like uh, what's his name, uh, Chris Ware. Uh huh. Like the, his stuff is very It's very childlike, or not childlike, but simplified yeah. and 
digestible, but it's so depressing and dark. <laughs> it and is. So it's like this really interesting yeah. graphic play of the image, and then but it's heavy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an interesting combo. I think. Yeah, and they feed off of each other. The sort of um, like simplicity and and the the way that you know these characters are so like reduced and graphic you don't expect to be able to see like the emotion in their gesture um or to relate to them and like oh my god when when you do and it's so i feel like his um like the pacing of uh and like the rhythm of his panels and the movements of the figures is so naturalistic um that yeah they they kind of feeds back and forth it's like whoa i wasn't expecting this sweet bright looking thing to be so devastating (laughs) right right i know but even like if you take something like south park which i don't really watch a lot of but i mean it's it's really clever and it's it's like super childlike but it's like totally you know not geared for that (laughs) totally totally um oh i think another example in that vein is i've been watching a lot of king of the hill recently and i've never really watched that oh man it's so good mike judge is like a genius it is it's a genius cartoon um and the animation is so rudimentary like sometimes i'll just zone out and like start to watch like how they actually did the animation (laughs) and it's so wonky (laughs) but they get the expressions perfect and it is very naturalistic and i mean the jokes are so high level and like the character building um the kind of world building is so high level but it's also a little bit it's not gritty but it's quite restrained um and yeah there's just a lot of pleasure in in seeing how they convey something so realistic in a right yeah well here so what's let's jump to it What's like the through line to your work? So like when you were in undergrad, where where did you start? Where was your work starting from? Like what were you interested in making or painting or drawing? And then how does that migrate? Because you go to CMU, which, you know, I don't really know much about the art program. I mean, I've, you know, I, I know people teach there, and I, but I just don't know that much about the feel of it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Columbia for grad school, I mean, come on, you know, it seems like it's going to be a little you know, conceptual or there's going to be some heavy, it doesn't feel like Columbia is going to be a light experience. Yeah. I don't know. Columbia was probably a stereotype, but I think, yeah, I don't know. I can't, I haven't been to, haven't gone through any other MFA programs. I don't think Columbia was like the headiest grad school that you could go to, but CMU actually um, really does have a pretty conceptual bent in its yeah. program um or you know like all schools i think there's like <laughs> factions and right. um yeah some faculty believe in this and yeah some a little more on the other side yeah but i would say for sure in their grad in the graduate program at carnegie mellon it's very much oriented to um uh, contextual practice, um, like social um, works that are are socially engaged and, and really local, um, and also like robotics and, and working with technology. Um, right. uh, oh, yeah, it's like just like in element. the digital sphere. So it's it's quite um, like ideas and like utility forward in the 
grad program. And I think that that influences the undergrad program and, and how things are taught. I would say like in general, it, it was like a very ideas forward ethos, which isn't to say that you like, you couldn't, that there was still, you know, um, uh, education in like material skill building. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the bent of the program. And I went in, um, with like a, like a pretty strong, um, background in drawing and like some introduction to painting, but, you know, drawing was just like my favorite thing. But I was also, my parents, um, were really, open to to modern art and you know encouraging and we we would go to art museums and stuff so i kind of got into like contemporary art pretty early on and i don't know i went in like wanting to be like janine antoni or something like wanting to like make performance art um and installation art i thought i would leave school doing that kind of thing but um i think it was like junior year in my head I was like well I want to do like installation or video or performance but I think just so I know that I got I I don't know how to evaluate whether I got a good education in those things but I do know if I have gotten if I will I will know if I've learned how to make a good painting in this program right. that is something that I can evaluate so like I just had this goal of like I want to learn how to make a good painting and then that just turned into getting really really hooked on painting yeah. well um so what years were you in grad school um I was in grad school from 2013 to 2015 okay so I mean the feel at that point it's pretty open right like I, I would think that you know, there's some diversity of schools of thought, you know, it's like, there's, there's, there's times where, you know, program or like the zeitgeist feels a little more, you know, I mean, like social practice or, you right. know, or figuration or whatever, you know, you have like a general overall feel of a momentum in a certain area or whatever, but I don't know at that time it probably felt pretty open. Right. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I think so. And I think, um, like, Columbia does, it. you know, at least when I was there, I think they did a really good job of building up a group of students who had um, really diverse interests and um, just sort of methods that they were working through. So there wasn't really a vibe in the program. Um, there wasn't like a That's major good. cohort doing one particular thing, which I think helped just so that nobody felt edged out of a particular thing, but also so that, you know, you, I think it, sort of tempered competition, like unhealthy competition. Right. Um, people were, I think people go, who go to Columbia are generally pretty ambitious. Um, I think that's like one of the things that going to a school like that is good for. But um, but just the way that, it, that the program is broken up in terms of disciplines and, and methods, um, you don't really get kind of unhealthy competition um yeah 
Yeah. Did were there certain uh, faculty that you really connected with or were super inspirational? Um, for I mean, sure. they have a lot of. If I'm not mistaken, just judging by looking at it, in years past, I remember one point looking at like he was teaching at Columbia and the visiting artist, and it's it feels like there's a lot of people in. They bring a like lot it, of people through. Because, I mean, yeah. location, you know, and yeah. the school, like they they have a lot of people coming through. I guess. Yeah. They sure do. And oh my God, it was so overwhelming my first semester. I think it is for everybody. And that's, that's kind of the point. You're like, you've like barely made a scratch on a piece of paper and you have to talk about it in like five visits, but, and it kind of creates this pressure cooker situation, which can be productive. Um, and sometimes or not. career ending. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, but I can't handle this. Ultimately. It's a deep end of the pool, right? It's like huh? sink, sink or swim. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, when I was there, uh, well, Gregory Aminoff was the uh, head of, of painting. Um, and he was just really supportive um, and perceptive and... Um, just like boundlessly excited about his students work all the way through Um, that's great yeah and then um matthew buckingham was really big um influence for me fia backstrom um taught uh like our reading class and did studio visits and and she was a big influence and then um the Columbia has this mentor program um, where students don't necessarily have an ongoing class, but they um, hang out in a group with an artist mentor for one week in the semester. And you know, the mentor can bring and take them to do whatever they have in mind. You know, they go on trips and see shows and do studio visits and things like that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I was it's a good idea. Uh, it's It's good because they can get, people who wouldn't be able to commit to full-time teaching otherwise. So I got to work with Dana Schutz <laughs> um, and Kelty Ferris and Ann Craven and David Humphrey, um, who were all like... Yeah, those are good quality people. It was insane. It is insane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what that program is about, I think. Is just I was going to say, because, you know, there's this program. adage in teaching of, you know, a lot of places now won't just they they would rather have adjuncts or just fixed terms or just people come in and out yeah because they don't have to pay them they don't have to know, pay benefits. them anything they don't have to give them health insurance yeah, it's like in and out yeah no one gets hurt you know and that just except we all for, get hurt it hurts the faculty and it hurts the students and right. yeah <laughs> yeah so i mean that's that's a question because if yeah. you that mentorship thing sounds really cool yeah and it's great like you make all these connections you meet these people but it may not be like deep you know to where you're they're talking about your work over the course of two years and they see it develop and grow and all that stuff so like how do you feel about that kind of? the mentor program is actually it's i think they do a really good job they actually do keep people and they i i don't know what the what kind of deal the mentors have, but somehow they've structured it that they can actually keep people on board um, for, it seems like as long as they want to stay. Um, Right. That's cool. I mean, those artists too are doing, doing well. Like they, you know, they may not necessarily want to, 
teach like tenure track yeah. stuff because exactly. they're busy. I, I think that's what it's it's geared towards. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, no, that doesn't that doesn't change the fact that there's like a serious adjunct problem in yeah. art schools. It's totally unacceptable. Yeah, it's it's an issue. I think there's a, there's the issue of that. Well, we don't have to get into that. But, <laughs> I mean, there's the issue of that, and then there's the issue of some tenure people are there forever and they just like checked out. So, yeah. you know, there's problems on both sides of the fence. I think. Yeah. But it sounds like you had a really good time there. What was your work like going in, and what happened going out? Um. Well, yeah, you were talking about like, oh, what was like the scene in 2013, and um, I think it was sort of towards the end of this moment of um small abstraction um small abstract paintings um process driven process driven we won't we won't say what they call it i don't think that that term is i mean that that mode of painting is very beloved to me because that's what i got hooked on when i started to to really get into painting um, so yeah, my, my portfolio, my application portfolio for grad schools was like a lot of little tiny, um, formalist, quirky, eccentric, abstract paintings. Um, I was, I was, I loved Thomas Niskowski. I would have been very, at that point, I would have been very happy to just have a career of trying to make Thomas Niskowski paintings. <laughs> He's such a great guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, but that's different. I think I, well, there's two things. One is that's different than like the crapstraction thing of like. Totally. The, yeah. That's like abstraction that's based on like exploration and within like each painting or whatever. I think that term, which was generally given to work that is just like one process that over it's like, oh, I use a squeegee that has yeah. like l-shape cuts in it and every painting is that over and over again. yeah so there's obviously great painting that's process driven abstraction but maybe what happens i think this happens this happens with figuration it happens with everything right yeah. there's like one or two people who are really really good like they just mm -hmm. they're crushing it mm -hmm. like you just know they've you know, whether it's like dana or you know or someone like uh, whoever yeah and then they spawn they spawn a whole like, lot of <laughs> tons <laughs> of bad copy yeah. people want to make work just like like nicole eisenman like there's so much there and there's like so many people are just like oh, i can do that yeah you know i'll do my version and Truly. then that's when people get irritated and start to say that this genre has to change is when everyone's aping that first version. it happens in music all the time totally you know, you'll get a really good band. Yeah. And like, you know, like grunge, for example, got, Nirvana. Yeah. And then, and then there's like four million Nirvanas exactly. trying to play this. It yeah. doesn't work. So, but that was the, well, Tom, his paintings were amazing. I mean, he yeah. worked on those things for, you know, those, did you ever meet him? I never got to, I would just, I so wish that I, I was really lucky because when my first gallery was Protech and we showed the same gallery oh, so no I, way. I knew him for a, a while and he was always so great and had great oh. things to say but you know he worked at Mad Magazine for like I know ages, I know there's that like that little bit of irreverence that yeah, I think totally. is preserved in in the paintings yeah yeah, and he would work on those things for for a long time. They're just gems. Trunk. They're yeah. they're like crystalline, you know. I know it's yeah. good stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I was, and I won't not to go too deep. I mean, we were planning to talk to, and I never got a chance to talk to him, which really bums me out. Yeah, but it was great to know him. Um, but yeah, his work just sings. You know, yeah. those are those are different. So you were making work kind of in yeah. that realm. Yeah, I was. You know, I was really interested in gestalt and and sort of figure ground switch and things like that um and I but you know in in undergrad I had been doing work that was like a little bit more referential um uh in terms of of imagery I was uh, really interested in in sort of diagrammatic work um another one of my favorite artists was uh, Alfred Jensen uh, you don't care about too much, but those paintings are are insanely complex, kind of layered maps, um, and and uh, diagrams. Um, Funny so, that you mentioned him too, because Max was had a bunch of his work and okay. was showing a little bit, like in his own secondary stuff, I guess. So. Oh. That work was around a lot when I first started showing in the early two thousands too. That's I cool. I mean, it was Tom and Byron, and then. Yeah, yeah. And those paintings, yeah. those like early, there's, I have a certain nostalgia for that work. Yeah. It's good stuff and weird. It's, to, it's so eccentric. Yeah. There's, I bet you one day we're, it's going to be like in a couple years, there's just going to be like an Alfred Jensen renaissance. Maybe I'll have it to always, precipitate that. That stuff ebbs and flows. Cause yeah. they, actually in the early 2000s, if I'm not mistaken, there was like a moment where oh, really? was popping up and okay. yeah, they were around and people were digging it and then yeah. You know, it kind of like ebbs and flows. Those yeah. Like, you know, John Wesley, whenever I was in school, there was an art in America in my apartment and it was on the cover and I was like, what the hell yeah. is this? Is I was like interested in it, but I was like, what is, what is But this? he was having a moment at that point, but he had been showing and, you know, he'd been around for decades. For sure. But and he has away, a funny timeline because he is like of the age of the abstract expressionists, but he started making those crazy paintings in the 70s. So it's like maybe he doesn't really fit very well into any sort of like historical narrative. Yeah, he was kind of, and he was a little odd. Like he he was doing pop stuff when pop stuff was happening right towards the tail end. But but his stuff was like super quirky and weird. It didn't line up exactly. So I think he was, you know, he was around the exterior of it. But then he was friends with Judd and he he was with Joe Bear. And like, there was like, he was with the minimalists for some reason. Like he hung out with them supposedly. And I think it was just like, he was just different, you know, is different, I should say. But uh, yeah, I mean the, the work in, uh, it's so funny that he's such a big part of Marfa too, because you think of this austere Judd and, you know, and then there's a lot of John Wesley there, which is kind of interesting. That's cool. Yeah. I love I love seeing those kinds of artworks and art careers that can take the spirit and the ideas of a of a movement or just their own spirited idea and ideas and and show give like completely radically different visual results. Yeah. I think that's really exciting. Yeah, they get overlooked at first I think, but then yeah. like on further look, you know, like Hilma, A.F. Klimt, totally. like that stuff, A.F. Klimt, I mean, there's a, you know. I think there's a connection there, Hilma, A.F. Klimt, and, and Jensen, I was thinking about him a lot with that, yeah. seeing that show, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's cool, it's like, you know, not to do it again, but uh, in music, it happens all the times where there's like a certain genre of music 
that's being explored. And then there's just like someone who's doing something that's loosely tied to that genre, but it's out there. But yeah, when I started out um, in grad school, I was, so I was interested in, I don't know, kind of, I was working through abstraction, but um, I don't know, another artist that's still, I don't know, she's probably just like my main kind of art historical anchor via Salman's. Um, I think she was starting to influence my work a little bit more. And um, I was in a place where I wanted to kind of just say things that were a little bit more explicit and concrete and, and um, elicit just elicit more specific ideas um, for my viewers in the work. And it just required um, delving into imagery. And another thing I was working out in my first semester was um, working with language and working with words. I just, it was like a puzzle. It was a challenge that I kind of wanted to conquer, like how to do that well in a painting. And I think that that really spawned um, a lot of the changes that happened in my in my first year of grad school. But boy, was, was there were major growing pains, like going from kind of formalist, like geeky, um, eccentric abstraction that was focused on gestalt and figure ground and um, going to something that was really, um, I guess, a little just more explicitly conceptually driven, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a big turn. Yeah. Like the anchor of the work shifts and it's, it can really open doors on like how that's visually interpreted. Yeah. So that's always like the scary. I mean, I, I same thing. And actually my my big maybe that it's kind of like a big shift. Right. We all have these shifts or at least to ourselves. They seem huge, you know, where it's like a fork in a row yeah. or like you decide something. And for mine, it was like after grad school when I went to Skowhegan oh, because cool. grad school was so formal, mm. not formal. It was so heavy and like, you know, it's, it, and then going to Skowhegan, which was like, hey, we're just all out here hanging out, you know, and it was much more free and easy. And I think I, it was easier for me to make that change there because of the change of environment. That's cool. But did you go right after first, grad school? I did. I, you know, I, I, I stacked it. Yeah. I went five years undergrad, two years grad, and Skowhegan all in a row. So I was just like Whoa. compressing it all. That's, I mean, so I no re- wonder you needed to like get out into the woods in Maine and freak out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was refreshing. Yeah. I mean, it, I had been applying, I applied two times before and got rejected. So Everybody it does. wasn't like it was, yeah, right. <laughs> it was, well, my old teacher was like, she's like applied for like 10 years yeah. or something and she's like yeah you just have to keep applying yeah. so i did so it just kind of lined up that way yeah but it was kind of perfect that's um, great you know because then you could just exhale and you're off the grid you know yeah. so and it wasn't even that much of a grid back then but you were really off the grid totally you know? my studio mates were cows <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> it was pretty uh it was pretty slow i was way out so you that's know awesome. it was a great place to make that change i imagine at Columbia in grad school between first and second year or while you're there, that's a harder, that's like under the microscope to make those kind of changes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think I, I went in with, I went in um, really welcoming change and, and wanting the work to grow. Um, and I went in just with some pretty specific things that I wanted to 
to kind of conquer, you know? Um, and, and then also I think just, I think rather than the studio visits and, and sort of all the eyes coming through and watching what was happening, I don't know if I really saw it as like feeling like I was being spied on or anything. I, it was, you know, and like an opportunity to have a deadline and like, I really want to be able to articulate what's going on here to these people. So I'm going to try to articulate it to myself. And that, again, it kind of created this sort of pressure cooker situation where just required a lot of, um, reflection and articulation and, um, uh, I don't know, not growing would have been more painful <laughs> yeah. than growing. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, it, it's admirable the the sort of like the so it's the foresight, like the the direction, the focus, and determination that you have. Like, I like I have never used the word conquer in relation to anything <laughs> that I do in my life. <laughs> So it's really impressive. That's funny. Like, I, <laughs> I can't believe I just used that word. I've like, you know, it's pretty great in my in my reflections at this point in the studio. I have literally written down to myself, "You don't have to conquer your paintings, Dana. That's not a healthy relationship to have with the images that you're trying to create. Why don't you grow them like a garden, or you know, tend them like a." like a pet or something. <laughs> hey, it's working. That's what I said earlier. You got to do you, yeah. you know, other pe people do things in different ways. Yeah. And if your way of making the really interesting, good paintings that you're making is by setting out to conquer, <laughs> then by all means <laughs> go at it, yeah. you know, yeah. but, uh, it, and the other funny thing that I'm, th I was thinking about is when you were talking about how you wanted to sort of lock in, well, I'm paraphrasing, but, and I'm probably wrong, so correct me, but kind of like locking in and being specific and like, you know, mapping out like, this is what I want to make. And I was reading uh, a, something, I think it was Miguel Abreu or something, it was like a description of the work and it was talking about your using sort of like images that are asking questions that don't necessarily have an answer or like there's a looseness to like, it's it's making you wonder in a positive way about what things could be or what, you know, what could be so it seemed like there's a real openness there but it sounds like in your description of school you're like you know you you were trying to like lock it in conquer focus specific there's yeah. definitely a cat on your palette behind you right uh, now. Uh, hi, Bushpa. <laughs> yeah He's, he hears a conversation that, in here and he wants it to just, be a part it just of dropped, it. jumped out of nowhere <laughs> and i just saw a cat suddenly <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll see if he'll be good enough to stay put I'll see if he doesn't cause too much trouble. Um, but yeah, you you know you're locked in, yeah. but then the the work is what I think of is almost like, and you know this is probably annoying, but there's like a Borman's esque like yeah. like question mark oh, to like right. wait what yeah. like why that in a really interesting way. You know what I mean? That sort of like that why that image, yeah. and it's in a really interesting like asking those questions that they were talking about so neatly in the press release or whatever in the bio of you yeah what you're doing. yeah I think that um like I don't know a lot 
I think a lot of the openness of the work comes from like it could be sort of reaching a breaking point and um, uh, getting to a kind of place in the work where I'll realize that I can't state the paradox that I'm interested in clearly. I can't, this painting that I'm making is not a proposition. It's not, um, it's not a sentence. Um, it's an image. And so I think that, yeah, maybe some of the kind of, um, slippage or, or mystery that happens in the work is, um, sort of me reaching the point where I realize like, oh, I actually, I can't say it clearly. So I just have to say it like this. Um, and then it, I think it just like also just comes from the place of, um, you know, have really specific ideas of, of really specific but fragmented ideas of what I want to try to do in a work. Um, and some pieces of that just like have to be um, arbitrary starting points. Um, right. Uh, yeah. So a lot of the time. The so would you. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say like a lot of the time, the kind of process in, in my studio is that like I'll, I'll have some uh, say like pretty abstract ideas um, or a kind of sense of um, a sense of uh, like a visual metaphor that I want to express, but it'll be a kind of abstract structure. Um, and I'll kind of be doing a lot of writing. Like I've got like, oh my God, half of my, my sketchbook since June right now is just all of this writing. And then there'll also just be like images floating around that um, don't seem to connect up with anything, but they're images that I like to look at. And for some reason I find myself making, and then those two things, they just start crossing paths at a certain point. And it'll be like, oh, this image, all of a sudden one day it'll seem like, oh my God, all along this, this image has meant this. Um, right. and it's sort of, so they, it, it accumulates meaning that way. So it's kind of an openness, but it's open within the sort of elements that you're bringing into it. Yeah. And, yeah. Would you say it's a little more Shelley and Rimbaud as opposed to like a Tolstoy? <laughs> I don't know Shelley and Rimbaud well enough. <laughs> to... A little more poetry and, and air and looseness oh, in the imagery. Than, than, than structure. Like... Yeah. I would say it's like Wallace Stevens through and through. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, and also, I like to ask this question. What does your, what do you feel like your paintings like sound like as far as music? Like who, oh, what kind? I think about this sometimes. I, I always try, I always ask myself this question. Um, uh, who do they look, what do they sound like? Who do they sound like? Um, you can delay that answer or defer it to some of the things that you love to listen to that yeah. you find inspiring and then navigate your way towards it if towards you find the it answer um i i don't know um maybe maybe like the band broadcast oh wow okay yeah is that, like, is that is calvin wait who's the singer in broadcast trish trisha somebody oh right right yeah. right okay Maybe that would be the vibe. 
like they're moody they're really moody right. um i don't know their lyrics well enough but are they living somewhere and i would imagine of, that well they have a, the narrative could work for yeah your work. they have an album called tender buttons after gertrude stein i feel like that's like a good vibe for what the lyrics are like okay yeah that works broadcast i haven't thought of them in a little while yeah are they still doing it no she she passed away oh sorry yeah that's a bummer yeah, it was sad she, i don't know she, that um, much about broadcast um they just there it was mostly i can't remember her name trisha somebody it was like mostly her game i think um okay. and she was just like a genius with building sounds um I think some of it is like constructed with her own sort of synthesizers and things like that. And then some of it is like found sound. Nice. Are there uh, some other people in that ballpark that you would bring into the fold as far as stuff you like? Mm, um, did you, and side question, did you grow up on classical in the house? Classical music? Yeah. No, not so much. Classic um, rock? My dad really liked like folk music like um kind of like adult contemporary folk music so um oh well from mississippi i guess he would be or you could imagine that bluegrass and you know that kind of stuff oh well i think it was more of like a philly thing like we had like a good radio station in philly wxpn um, that played that music. So it was like Amy Mann and R.E.M. and stuff like that oh, okay. was playing in the house. And then uh, my sister was a big, big musical influence on me. She was four years older than me. Um, and we we listened to alternative rock growing up. Right. So it was like Nirvana and... Um, uh i don't know the cure the cure or was that was pre huge. yeah the smiths the cure and the smiths were huge um, oh, i mean because some of the uh some on, of the like, people York and stuff yeah that's a lot of depressing stuff it really was <laughs> like i loved fiona apple and the smashing pumpkins um yeah that was the musical landscape and it, there was like a lot of like female teenage rage in our <laughs> little suburban home <laughs> oh boy yeah. yeah that's that sounds like you know that could get pretty grim yeah with all that <laughs> um you didn't listen to elliot smith did you that's i did i did in oh, high school no. for sure for sure and he's still so incredible there occasionally i um yeah I mean those songs are just so beautifully constructed it's too much yeah but i can't listen bad. to it it's too heavy like i had you know some some stuff is just too hard to listen to yeah it's beautiful but man is it what a downer yeah it's funny because i can listen to you know the germs or like you know like black flag and nothing like no yeah. depressing. i mean it's pretty dark and grim as far as the message but um but the the just the I, that's why i feel like lyrics can mean a lot and can say a lot but it's the feeling totally you know? like your hands in that drawing behind you or whatever it is like <laughs> that can tell me oh there's hands or drawing or there's this but it's the feeling of it yeah. that really creates the the meaning and the feel like yeah. i would gather that a lot of your work and no one asked and i'm just saying this and you can tell me i'm wrong but 
I would imagine a lot of it is that feeling that you're trying to get. It's yeah. like the what broadcast does with that, um, the orchestra of those sounds. Yeah. As much as the words that she oh, said. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't necessarily thinking about it in terms of lyrics. But the lyrics, I think that's... I feel like... I mean, I'm not a musician, but it seems to me that a lot of the time that's what, like... At least with, like, indie rock, what a musician is up to with the lyrics is just contributing something that fits with the with the tone that they're texture. After. Yeah. yeah. It's just another layer. Yeah. Right. It's not... I mean, when I was in high school you know, I was the singer in our band and it was like shoegazer kind of yeah. music. It was like that. And the, I don't know what the, f- I wasn't writing any, it was just yeah. sounds. Yeah, you know what I totally. mean? I was just another tone in there. <laughs> and then it was funny because anytime an adult, like one of our parents would hear it, be like, we can't really hear what you're yeah. saying. I was like, yeah, that's well, you can't hear what Kevin Shields is saying either. So yeah, that's, I couldn't hear after seeing <laughs> Kevin Shields live for like a few weeks. It was so yeah. loud. I mean, I mentioned that on air before, but the loudest show I've ever been to was my bloody valentine yeah did you go to the one in new york a few years ago no it was in it was actually in pittsburgh and it was right by the original there was uh there was a building i I guess it was a pit but i don't know maybe my memory is wrong but i feel like it was an auditorium right by like off off of is that carson street no not carson that's south side right where the original was it was near there and it was just so loud wow good stuff though (laughs) <laughs> are you still do you ever go see live music yeah totally that- we've i've just been like going had been to my first uh live shows this spring uh and i'm so happy to be able it's to amazing, see music right? again yeah i saw yeah. um anna meredith uh at elsewhere recently she's kind of i you know she's i think in the lineage a little bit of broadcast she's and she's interesting she kind of spans pop rock and um and like just like contemporary sort of composition but she does um it's like synth driven music um but man this show they had a tuba um and a real like a live drummer and a uh, bassist like a like somebody Uh playing a string upright bass um and it sounded like it was all coming from a synthesizer but it also has like the richness of of analog instruments she's she's pretty incredible yeah yeah it was something like the first show i went to see after covid and it was like oh yeah this is what it is yeah it felt like really exciting because it had been so long yeah and thank God those musicians can go out there and like make a living doing that stuff. Yeah, that, that was tough. Yeah, you know I have a lot of friends who are just like hold up, shit and out of like luck. Yeah, scrambling for anything. That's you know? so rough. I think about that a lot. Just with like, I don't know. It it feels like a privilege, or it's I'm just really grateful in art making that, and well, painting and drawing specifically that there's just not. Um, much of a barrier to doing it anywhere um but when it comes to music or acting and theater you really need some infrastructure to practice the work yeah it's tough yeah you know it's a weird thing about being an artist is you you kind of are quarantined in a studio so to speak all the time i mean you know we get real used to just being alone in a room i don't think a lot of people do that yeah that's true. In life. That's true. How many people just go to work all day and sit in a room by themselves and look at the wall? <laughs> I guess writers are the other one. 
Yeah, they yeah. do that. But the thing is, is the writers, I feel, well, I don't, I don't want to speak for them, but you can kind of write on the go or you can be, I'm sure yeah. many people need a strict location or whatever, but you can be a little fluid with it. But like your studio is. You have to be there. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of have to be there. Yeah. So, but yeah, writers can do that too. It's, it's a real, and at times it can be a, a plus, you know, just like, this is what I do. Just hanging out by myself. Totally. And I don't know, for me, I think I get a lot from um, being able to come to one specific place where where the things happen and the ideas happen. And I think and where you don't have to deal with people. Yeah. Dealing with people, I feel like lately has been even more taxing or maybe that's age. <laughs> but what is going on with humans? Anyways, Do you mean in person? Uh, just in general. in general. It's just like it's, you know, it's grim lately. Yeah. I think people are <laughs> yeah. rusty right now yeah yeah i think they're either rusty from what's going on or they're just very old and they're getting rusty yeah you know when like really old people make decisions for everyone that it's just like we don't need that. yeah there have been some old people making decisions for everybody that um have gone way off the map of recent yeah i think just i've always thought this about driving but now i'm starting to think about like society <laughs> It's like, you know, when you have like, you see someone who's driving and they're like 79 and they can't even see over the wheel. And like, that, that, there's gotta be a cap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it'll come with art. I, I think with art, you can keep making it when you get older. I think Hook's eye said, you know, I won't make a good piece until I'm a hundred or something. Yeah. But, I mean, um, I don't ever I th- hear about artists like quitting or retiring or anything like that. You know? Yeah, you never like want to break into someone's studio and just take the paintbrush away and yeah. be like, "Look, you know, if you're gone, it's you did it. Yeah. It's it's enough." Like they can kind of keep doing it, you know. Yeah. But almost everything else, it's like, all right, if you're over like sixty-five, no more decisions for anyone else. Yeah. No more driving. Yeah. Just chill. Just yeah. relax. There's a lot of Sudoku out there. There's lots of Wordle. You can now use <laughs> Netflix. Just chill out. Just <laughs> let it, let everyone else drive the bus. Yeah. <laughs> I guess also if you just, you know, start making bad or boring paintings, it's okay. It doesn't really hurt anybody. Exactly. I mean, the worst they could just, I guess, be redundant. Yeah. Where you're just doing the that's same thing. The, wow. If that's the worst that can happen, seems like a pretty great field to be in. Redundancy feel- is the worst, is like the worst we're facing. <laughs> Right, if that's our yeah. our evil to the world, yeah. I mean, you know, people could just look the other way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not that bad. I feel like making a, you know, there's the carbon footprint. There's got to be an analogy to like, you know, like the societal footprint that people make. Yeah. In a net positive or negative way or whatever. Yeah. And I feel like with artists generally, pretty good, you know? Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. And if you're t- like, I teach, so I feel pretty good. Like that's totally positive, net positive. So I feel like I'm doing all right. Totally. I mean, you know, we could, everyone like laughs at artists or like, well, what do you really do? <laughs> well, it's like, <laughs> at least my, my societal carbon footprint is, is very low. <laughs> it's, it's a pot. No, I think it's, it's, it, yeah, it's a positive. Yeah. You're, you're doing a very positive for the world, yeah. you know? And, uh, yeah, I think it's a good thing. Um, what are you working on these days? What, have you, and did you, like, were you uh, working all through the pandemic? Was it 
I mean, a lot for a lot of people, I think it was like, you know, you made some moves and did some stuff because, you know, what else were we doing? Totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was pretty fried right at the beginning of the pandemic that, I mean, it was just like such a, such a, like, um, jostling. Yeah. That it was hard to work for sure at the beginning. And I didn't try to like force it too, too hard at the beginning, but, but, um, it, I don't know, the past couple of years have been a little bit weird in that way because we have been going through the pandemic and everything's kind of been overturned, but it's, I think it's also been just in the past couple of years that my work has been getting more visibility in the United States, um, and in New York. So like things have just gotten a little bit more, um, like stable and there's just been more exposure, um, which has been exciting. Um, so it's been, I don't know, there's been this really good thing and this really terrible thing (laughs) at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a it's a weird push pull, yeah, right? Yeah. Um but, but um I w- so what are you like do you have anything coming up that you're working on? Um yeah, so the next big thing will be a show at Klima in Milan, which is a gallery that I've been working with since 20 um 2017. Um nice. Yeah, yeah. Are you going? Uh, I hope so. Yes, I hope so. That'll be in like February, um, or just sometime early in 2023. So it's, it's a little bit down the line. And I honestly, like I am sort of processing and, um, kind of mentally laying the groundwork, um, of, of what's going to come next, but, um, I really can't tell tell you or myself right now what's that what it's all gonna look like well milan sounds great yes I mean, yes it's i've i've been very lucky to be able to go um a couple times before and um it's a beautiful city um it's just like the culture and the pace is um really refreshing um and yeah i very much look forward to going back have you done a lot of, um, sorry, I, I should know this based off your bio, but if, well, not necessarily, um, cause I haven't traveled everywhere I showed. Have you done a lot of like show traveling? Have you gone to a lot of different places or um, do you like travel? I do like travel. I'm not like, um, I'm not, it, it's not like my main thing um in life to go traveling um but yeah i you know in the first um few years out of grad school i don't know why for one reason or another um sort of like a lot of the opportunities that i had were coming from overseas um for some reason there just seems to be like more interest from overseas so um the first show that i did was at this really great space Chu Days in uh, London and Tobias Chu Day, who ran that, he's still active and doing cool things, even though the space isn't, um, space itself is closed. But that was, I got to go to London for that show. And then 
Um, I started working with Klima in Milan, and then I also got to do a show at Bianca Del Sandro in Copenhagen. And she's just like another oh. one. Who's, yeah, like did you go? You went? Yeah, I was able to go. Isn't it was it, great? it was like a really quick turnaround. Um, yeah, but yeah, it was it was so beautiful. I loved it. That I had a very quick turnaround there too because I spoke at the Royal Academy, and it was oh, like, cool. and the weather wasn't even nice, and it was still yeah. like. The airport design, it was beautiful. Yeah. I loved it there. Yeah. That's a nice place. I could imagine, you know, doing a residency or like taking some time there eventually. Totally. Totally. They have a nice quality of life there, I think. Truly. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, well, I'm excited to see, like, yeah, I'm excited to see the new work. The work is like super interesting and like really cool. I'm just really into it. And, um, yeah, it was, thanks so much for taking the time out to talk. It was really cool oh, to like, get to know you. My pleasure. Yeah. It was great. We'll have out. to do studio visits. I think we're allowed to see. Oh, totally. Now, so. Studio visits are 100% back on. Yeah. In person. All right. Well, thanks so much. Cool. It was great to talk. Thank you so much, Brian. Sound and vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself. Brian Alfred, you can find out more about the podcast by going to soundofvisionpodcast.com. You can check out more images by going to Instagram at soundofvisionpodcast. And you can find more about my work at brianalfred.net or at Alfred Studio. A couple things. Why I Make Art is out. It's available all over. So if you can get it, it's $25 packed with artists and lots of cool stuff in there. And we're doing a signing and a book release party at Miles McHenry Gallery on Thursday, the 28th of this month. And there's also going to be a group show up based on on some of the artists in the book called Why I Make Art. So come check it out, 6 to 8 p.m., signing books, giving away some stuff. And um, many thanks for all of you who have supported the book so far. It's been amazing. It's a fun project to work two years on something, and then it hits, and then people are checking it out and seemingly enjoying it. So many thanks for your support on that. Thank you to Michael Lovett, to Weird Inside for the music, and many thanks for Dana for talking. Got some good episodes coming up, so make sure you stay tuned. Thank you, as always, to you for listening.